be able to sing that today. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. I greet you today in the name of the Lord. Privilege for us to be together, isn't it? <clears throat> Carol and I met um, Brother Tim and Sister Karen Pruitt on Thursday at Brother Ron Spencer's. We wanted to go up and spend a couple of days with them pray with them, encourage them, things like that. So the Lord really, really met with us and certainly appreciate him. His Just want you to be mindful of Brother Ron and his situation. The doctors have told him that he has melanoma in uh, both lungs and they're going to meet with him Tuesday as far as uh, what type of treatment. But Dr. Jesus met with us Thursday evening and started his own type of treatment. So. Amen. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I want you to look at what a profound image that Isaiah paints of our Messiah. A man of sorrows, he says, acquainted with grief or known by grief. This is his identity. A lot of people, you know, you think of their name and something comes in your mind most of the time, one or two outstanding things, a smile, a handshake, a, a frown, a look on their face. But can you imagine Jesus Christ? His identity was, he was a man of sorrows or known by grief. Sorrow was his constant companion his intimate, close companion. Conversing in his life from the cradle to the cross. Isaiah goes on to say, we hid, as it were, our faces from him as a loathsome, abominable individual that didn't even deserve to be looked at. So for us as humans, if there's people that we would meet, we've got a problem with them, we've got a grievance or whatever, you know how a lot of people do. They just turn their head away from them. They just... So Isaiah said, this is the way that we did him. He was not even worthy to be looked at. Don't even give him the time of day. Surely he hath borne our griefs And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten 
of God and afflicted. I know it may not seem like it, but those scriptures that I just read to you are the greatest masterpiece that has ever been known to man. Doesn't look like one, does it? But that was God's masterpiece. Before we pray, I'd like to be remembered today before the Lord. God bless you. Let's just bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, as I was back there in the office hearing the songs that were being sung and the children of God enjoying their freedom, enjoying the peace that we have in this world, enjoying being set free, knowing the scriptures that you placed on my heart yesterday to read, I thought, what a contrast. But yet, in order for us to enjoy what we do today, it took this setting to be able to produce it. Let me say, first of all, I thank you. I thank you. As we've gathered here today, Lord, we pray once again that you'd take your word and speak to us those things which will benefit us and help us. You see, the needs of your people, Lord, sicknesses, diseases that man is so afflicted with, but you bore those for us. So why should we bear them again? I pray that you would anoint our faith to be able to rise to that place, Lord, to receive what you've already accomplished. You see, this prayer calls that I have in my hand today, Lord, Sister Mary Lewis, I pray, Lord, that you would just be with our sister, minister to her, her physical needs, other needs in the home and the family situation. Lord, whatever's done here today, we will give you praise and honor, for you alone are worthy. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's read verse 5, if you would, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. So he's wounded with open wounds and the blood oozes out. Others are bruises which turn black and blue with the blood under the skin which is not released. So what part of his body didn't have cuts and lacerations and wounds on it? Others of them had bruises. He was bruised for our iniquities. I want you to notice the way the prophet places himself in this category. He's speaking as if though he was there. And this amazing is prophesying 700 years before this is going to be a reality, but identifies himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I'll tell you one thing, friend. You'll never get the benefit out of what he did until you make these promises your own. He wasn't just beat for Brother Donnie. He wasn't just beat for Paul and Peter. He was beat for me. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Listen to this. And with his stripes, we are healed. Look at the contrast between the humility and the glory of the kenosis. There's no way that our minds can be able to comprehend what we've read here. We, we see it by paintings and songs and poems and poetry and preachers and all kinds of people have tried to project it to us. But in reality, without God helping us, there's no way for us to be able to comprehend the great price that he paid especially in the way that he alone could suffer. Or you say, many people have been crucified. They have. But yet, they could not have been crucified in the exact way he was. Many people have suffered, Brother Donnie, for their cause. They have. But not one mortal from Adam until him, and from him until now, could ever have suffered to the degree that he suffered. It was totally impossible. Now I'll prove to you why here in a few minutes. Notice in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now remember God must be smote in the image The image must come from the vision to the supernatural. From there it must become tangible that God can bear the penalty of his own law. And God laid on him, Isaiah said, the iniquity of us all. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is Elohim. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? I will for one. He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. Not people who's going to become his people, but for his people. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now God is doing this to another individual other than himself. He is unjust. How could I make a penalty of the law 
and make someone else other than me pay the penalty of that law and get joy out of watching them suffer. How could I be just and righteous and true? How could God, the eternal, be pleased with seeing another individual, much less his little boy, as people try to project him? The reason he was so pleased was because himself was finally paying the penalty in a condescended form of justice and judgment. In equity and in peace, God would bring a final resolution to the cause of sin. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, if, if anyone, we would see them and they were hitting other people, whether it be young or middle-aged or old. And many of us that are not even fighters, that don't have the temperament to fight. I dare say sisters in the church or children in the church to see a bully taking it out on someone else and hitting them and they was making their eyes all swollen and their nose was running with blood and their mouth. So I, there'd be something in us as a human that would want to rise in defense of that individual. Whether you knew them or not, that would have nothing to do with it. So how could the justice of a loving God want to bruise another being? How could he want to take out the revenge of his own law on another being other than himself? How could he be pleased? And yet he goes on to say, He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Amen. The humility of the kenosis leads us from verse 1 to verse 11. As verse 11 begins to end and the glory begins to merge in with the emptying out. And then the crescendo of it going into verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. In our minds we've heard the story most of us since we were in Sunday school. Probably for the most part in Christianity around the world. The percentage would be so small. 
of those who really understand the cause, the consequence, and the victory of what our Lord Jesus truly did. Probably today, of those of us that are sitting here, we are still learning to comprehend the value of what he did. We've sang songs about it, read poems about it, as I said, heard preachers preach about it. But to much of us, that's all it is. It is a story. It is something that we've heard. But when I hear Brother Branham talking about on the cruelty of sin and conference with God and the mighty conqueror and and different sermons, when he goes into the drama of bringing the crucifixion and the conference between the spirit and the body, and I hear him laying all of this out and going in many times into the graphic detail of the way that he described it, I realized that he saw something about this that I did not see. He saw something in depth about this that most theologians that I've read about did not see. Can they explain certain types of the law and certain things about it? I believe by him seeing what he saw, it released a providential avenue into the love of God that so embraced the prophet's heart and so gripped him that it released a servitude that he had, but not just out of fear, but one out of love. That he loved the Lord Jesus so much Not just because he raised the dead and he saw that and he healed the sick and you hear him testifying of those things. But none of those things, if you'll notice, when he talks about it on tape, those things do not move him to his core, the very core of his being as it does when he talks about the atonement, when he talks about redemption, when he talks about the conference with God. There was something about this that so moved him. Now, started preaching when he was a young man, wound up preaching the majority of his life. It still moved him to the very end of his life. Unlike many of us that have heard the story, oh, I've heard the cross, I've heard the cross. Yeah, I know all about it. Really, do you? You know all about it. I'm surprised. I'm surprised if any of us would think We know all about it. In reality, I would say we know very little about it. The cause, the consequence, the events that lead up to it, and the ultimate victory that was brought by it. To break in on the mixture of the divine and the human is the only way that we will be able to have, I believe, access into understanding a little more clear what it was that happened that day on Calvary. But leading up to it, of course, let us, let us start here with conference with God. And Brother Random says, There is a sign unto you, God dwells in humility, not in pomp. Hey, shared this quote with me this week. It's always been the devil's idea. God comes in humility. That'll be a sign. Not a lesser God, but a man, a man, he cried like a baby when he was a baby. He played in the streets like a boy when he was a boy. 
He worked in the carpenter shop with Joseph as a man at work. He ate when he was hungry. He sweated when he was hot. He cried when he was sorrowful. He was a man. This will be a sign to you. God will deal with you, oh my, with you in a humble notice, not in a great big up to up man, but a little low man with no background, a sign. Now listen to this next statement. That's a death stroke to the devil right there. Mama. Well, I don't mind telling you, I love giving him death strokes. But in our minds, would we have comprehended it in that same way? Again, he says that that's a death stroke to every denomination and pomp and all the pomp and glory of this world. It's a death stroke that the God of heaven chose to come that way. That's what happened at the conference. It had to be decided. That's the way he chose to come. He didn't have to come that way. He was the God of heaven, but he chose to come as a baby. He chose to come that way. That's what happened at the conference in heaven. So there was, in in the drama phase of this, there was, as it were, a conference that was held in heaven. The topic was man's redemption. Man's salvation. Man being able to be reconciled back to God completely. Now he lays it out as if so that there was great angelic host and beings that were there. And they were listening to the conference. And it was the invisible and the visible talking about what must be done. Let me just call another one or two conferences and let me call this one. There was a time after a perfect life of 33 years and a half, he had been lived. A man who wanted, now listen, this is something that I think we denied the Lord Jesus of. A man who wanted to live as much as I want to live. As much as you Want to live. What is it about us that whenever we would hear a, a bad diagnosis from a doctor or we're having symptoms in our body and we go to Dr. Google and consult him and try to diagnose ourselves and figure out where we are and what's going, you know, going on with us? Why is it that an element of fear, if, if, if we hear the word cancer or some terrible disease, why is it that something inside of us raises up? We want to live. How many wants to live today? If you don't, you need prayer. Now, no matter how difficult and how bad life is, and we know that there are people that come to that spot in life, they no longer want to live, and they decide to take their life. That is a very bad state for a person to be into. But the Lord Jesus, it's not like, and I'm afraid that we have this consensus in our mind, that we think he's just chomping at the bits. I mean, he just can't wait. He can't wait to go to Calvary. That is not the truth. He did not want to go to Calvary. He did not want to face Calvary. He even prays that the cup can pass from him. He loved his brothers. 
Now he was not very loved himself by very many, but he loved living in this life. You say, how in the world could he have done it? He was so rejected by the majority of humanity. He was the most misunderstood human that ever lived on the earth, but he did not want to leave this world. Notice he said he wanted to live as much as you want to live. A man who had something to live for. Brethren that he loved. People that he loved. Listen to this. Sunsets. Will you all please let my Lord Jesus be a man this morning. Do you mind if we walk with him? And we see the sun setting. We were there some time ago on the Sea of Galilee. Up in the hotel room where we were. And I made probably, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm thinking 50 to 75 shots on my camera. Also video as the sun is going down over the Judean hills. And striking over the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret. Whichever one that you read according to the gospel. The way he described it. Absolutely breathtaking. Knowing that my Lord had stood there somewhere. I might have been on the very spot where he was standing. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus of healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead? But he said, Peter, let's walk over here. I can't wait to see the sunset. And he just stand there and look at it. Isn't that awesome? I love my work. I mean, I, I just, I love. Well, he's the one who did it. But in your mind, can you understand that Jesus loves sunsets? Why shouldn't he? He made them. He thinks they're awesome. He loves the rising of the sun as it breaks up. And you know how it is with a picture. Sometimes when somebody takes one, it's hard for you to know whether it's a sunrise or a sunset because of the way the sun does. You imagine him being up early of a morning, no doubt that he was. And he would go out and he would hear the birds singing. And then in his mind, he could recall thinking. When he designed that bird and gave it its, its spectrum of colors and picked the song for it to sing. And he would see another bird flying over here and remember how he chose that bird to fly that way. He loved sunsets that he liked to see. Remember, Jesus was a man. God was in him. But there come a time the Spirit was leading the lamb, the dove. And there had to be a conference between the lamb and the dove. And they formed a place to set it. After supper that night, they crossed over the little brook Kidron. Somewhere and went across the brook and went into a garden called Gethsemane. They had to have a conference. God and Christ had to talk it over. The lamb and the dove had to sit together. It was the dove that had to talk to the lamb. 
And it was the Lamb's death. And now when they sat by that rock, and all the angels come down from heaven to listen in to this conference and all, there was Gabriel and Michael and Woodworm, all the thousands of them sitting around the rock, the lamb young, a beautiful life, never a life lived like that, never was, never will be a life like that the lamb had. But now the father said, are you willing? Now it's not like there's an old man sent over talking to his middle-aged son or his 30-year-old son. But it's actually the dove in the lamb's body. And they're conversing back and forth. And the Lamb is saying, Father, if it be thy will, Father, if it be thy will, and the Spirit within him as he does within us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh my, the Father said, are you willing? Is your love for your brethren great enough? Is your love for that sinful, stinking world that you're born in, do you love them enough to forfeit your life? Do you love them enough to take their place, to bear their sin to the hardest, crucial deaths? There could be nothing die that kind of death but Him. And in that conference, such a decision was made until blood dropped from His brow. He was under a strain. The sins of the world was upon him. And then he looked into the face of the dove and said, Not my will, but thy will be done. Notice how he brings it straight from him now to us. Oh, can we have that decision in our hearts this morning? Can you forfeit that little filthy life of yours? Are you willing to look into his face and say, Not my will. I'm a drunkard, but I'll drink no more. I'm a gambler. Oh my, I'll drink no more. I'm immoral. I'll be that way no more. I'm a liar, but I'll stop it today. Notice this, he goes on to say, God has called a place, not upon some high pinnacle place, but a humble little tabernacle to fall in. And we're having a conference. May God help me. A man 30 years old looked like 50, and the Bible said of all of his strain where he'd probably turning gray and the grim look on his face to where he was suffering, not so much physically, but it was agony. The Bible said the blaze blood and water separated from each other. Now listen to this explanation. Any doctor or anything can tell you that knows the chemistry of the blood that only sorrow will do that. Now, just in the last few years, the doctors have diagnosed and given a new term to something that plagues much of humanity. It is called broken heart syndrome. It can come from death of a loved one, divorce, 
It can come from a shock of bad news. Believe it or not, it can actually come from a shock of good news that is so overwhelming. The symptoms are very similar to a heart attack. I saw a CT scan this week as I was looking at this on a, on a video and they were videoing a person's heart that had this broken heart syndrome. And the heart was jumping and twitching and moving and it affects a certain part of the heart whenever an individual has a broken heart. And the other part of the heart is not directly affected so the part that is not affected begins to try to compensate for the part of the heart which is affected. And then it will start beating much, much faster as this one slows down because of the release of the hormones in the body and the sadness and the overwhelming despair that a person is feeling. And when I saw that the other day, it just caught my attention as I was looking at the news, checking it on my phone. And whenever I saw that, I thought, I know, I know I've heard Brother Bram say something about that. That Jesus didn't die of the spear, but of a broken heart. So I went on to look at this and then done a little bit more research on Mayo and a couple of different places. And I found it such an amazing thing that here they, I just understood what took my Lord's life 2,000 years ago. Maybe some of you have experienced a broken heart syndrome. Many people go to the ER thinking they're having a heart attack. And actually they'll receive this diagnosis right here, a broken heart syndrome. It can be an affair. It can be, you know, all, all types of things. It can be horrific that just sends the body into the cycle. It can go for days, weeks, or months. Some people actually die because of broken heart Syndrome. Only sorrow will do that. He never died from a Roman spear. Neither did he die from a nail drove in his hand or his feet. But he died of a broken heart. Being rejected. All of us have felt rejection, have we not? It hurts. Whether it's from our family, our friends, people we work with, church people, it hurts. But none of us, believe me, none of us have ever felt rejection on this scale. There's never been another mortal. The prophets were so hated and rejected and despised by people. But not another mortal could feel the depths of such rejection. Don't you understand? He was dying in Gethsemane. When he was sweating great drops of blood, he had already started dying in the garden of Gethsemane. The sorrow was taking place so much in his body that the chemistry in his blood was dividing and separating the water from the blood. Can you imagine the coagulation and the blood trying to pump out of the heart and all this going on inside of his body? This is not normal 
for the water and the blood to separate. Notice he said he died of a broken heart being rejected. This is why. He came to his own and his own received him. You said, Brother Branham, I wish I could have stood there that day. Brother, you're standing in a better place today. You're standing in the presence of a resurrected Lord Jesus who has proved himself triumph. Praise be to God. Notice this in perfection. He says, even on a stormy night, he said, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. The highest that all the heavens had heard become the lowest of all those, even to animal life was privileged above him as far as comforts of life. The fox had a den. The bird had a nest. The fox ranked higher than your Lord. The little bird, the little squirrel that would go up in the tree and find a den or make a nest. It ranked higher. Don't you see why? We cannot go this low. We're not made to. It's hard for us to even comprehend it, much less go that place. Notice this. Not only that, but in his death, he suffered a death like no one ever suffered. Never any man ever suffered with such a broken heart till his blood and water separated before his death. Again, he says, what a terrible thing that sin does. It separates man from God. And he was the sin offering that had to be offered for our sins and was separated from the presence of God. Sin separated him. God placed our sins upon him and he was separated from God. That's why he cried, why hast thou forsaken me? And because he was forsaken, he had taken this place and seen his people. He was come to be their savior and to offer them life. And they had rejected him and it grieved him so that he was so broken hearted that the blood and water and the chemicals of his body separated. Man will never know what that was. That's the reason there could be no one else ever die like that. I don't care how much they can put you tormented. They might cut, put your feet in stocks and saw you by inches or burn you by inches. You could not die that death because your makeup is not like that. Why? He was God. Notice he goes on to say he died of a broken heart with such grief for the world until a chemical reaction taken place in his body that could not take place in you. So the water and the blood was separating. The dove and the lamb was separating. He was separating from the presence of God that separation was required to separate me from my sinful nature. 
to separate you from the habits that so bound your life that it seemed nearly impossible. But he did more than what seemed impossible. He met it, my brother, sister. And because he did that, he made a way that you and I could be delivered. Is it any wonder that he longed for that glory to return? It's hard for us to imagine a being that would live in the heavenly realm that would listen to the praises of angels day and night as we would say. And the myriads of the angels that was there before his throne and him being the visible part of God. Everything adored him. Everything worshipped him. Everything loved him. Everything bowed before him. And he must make this choice. He must separate himself from that. And he can never reach over into that realm and pull from that realm to help him through the battles of life. Though he had access, though it was there, though he could cry at any time, don't you know I have power right now? I could call to my father, he would send me 12 legions of angels. For us, it's not really so much hard. Well, we can't do this, we can't. We ain't got power to do a lot of stuff. So, you know what? We ain't got power to do it. We ain't got money to do it. We ain't got this to do it and that to do it. But all of that laid at his disposal. It was right there simply for the asking. Simply for the bidding of divine help. You talking about temptation. Don't ever think in your mind that what you go through is even comparable. Even comparable at all to what he went through. What he suffered all that laid before him just in this realm alone. But knowing you have access in that sphere right by you to pull and tap into that and eliminate everything and everybody. But you refuse to do it. But he so longed for a return of that glory. Notice in St. John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work. Isn't this amazing? He hadn't even died yet. Hadn't even been whipped. Hadn't even suffered for your healing. But he said, I finished it. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Oh, and now, oh, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. What was it, that glory, which was the Shekinah or Shekinah, that he had lived in and dwelt in that he had to forfeit in order to come to the earth. Don't you see if he would have walked around on the earth with these streams of light permeating from his being and raising the dead and healing the sick and creating birds and creating animals? My, the majority of the world would have come to him. But they could not come just because of that. They must be liberated from their nature of sin. Just as sure as they believed because of that sign, Satan would have performed a false sign and turned them away from it. 
But if he can produce a blood which will set them free from their fallen nature, the worshiper once purged has no more conscience of sins. Then whether you see signs, don't see signs, go through trials, go through tests, it has nothing to do with it at all. Because that nature of sin, that snake has been killed and you have a new birth. Hallelujah. In order to become in the work of incarnation, the Shekinah must be laid aside. We see him one time as he was allowed to resume this Shekinah, this glory, for a moment. In Mark chapter 9 verse 1, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they have seen, notice, the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus takes us with him, Peter and James and John, and leaves them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Now what's going on? Jesus, for a moment, enters back into that Shekinah that he had before the world ever was. So he takes on a partial, just for a moment of time, a partial imprintation of that divine glory which he lived in before. Before the world ever began. Notice in that realm what he does. We see Moses and Elijah appear. And we see. Now notice. And in the very type of this. The kingdom of God coming in power. Here is Jesus glorified. Here is Moses and Elijah. Elijah raptured up. Moses dead. But raised from the dead. And then we've got Peter, James and John. Jews. Amen. And then with the foot of the mountain. We've got the nations of the earth. What is? very reflected image of the millennial kingdom praise God the dead in Christ shall rise first and those living ones there with the glorified Jesus the Jews 144,000 is that right and then the nations living outside the realm of the mountain of God Amen. You shall see the coming of the kingdom of God. Notice he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto him Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. For he received, notice Peter says it this way, being an eyewitness, 2 Peter 1.17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard now they were there you might try to talk them out of it it ain't going to do no good because they were there they saw it they heard it is that right we heard he said when we were with him in the holy mount what was it a foreshadowing of the crowning of the Lord Jesus this is going to be your reward after the sacrifice of kenosis Hebrews chapter 5 verse 5 so also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest but he that said unto him thou art my son today 
have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying. Listen, your Lord Jesus, strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Was heard in that he feared. Jesus was afraid. But God ain't afraid. But God must suffer in the image. And make it where as the blood and water is separated. So must the lamb and the dove be able to separate in the image. So before the image is smitten. When the transfer of the sins is placed upon the lamb that the dove can leave. You think that Brother Brandon was just telling stories when he runs the parallel of us whenever we do something wrong and we have the Holy Ghost in our life and he typed it like a dove and he said that dove will fly out and then sit on a limb somewhere and wait for you to get in the right mood. Is that right? So he's taking the same symbolism as it was with the Lord Jesus that the eternal could not live in his humanity. Once the transferal of our sins had been placed upon him. Amen. So before this ever happens, the eternal must leave his humanity. The eternal must go out and this is why the anointing left him in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane. He must die a man. God cannot die. And once he leaves, you imagine the Lord Jesus. Think of it, friends. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Father that he had left him. But he said, I'll never leave you. But the Father had to leave him in order to come to you to say, I'll never leave you. It had to leave him. He was forsaken by God. He was forsaken by man. He was forsaken by angels. It had to be that way. Notice this in verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. I can understand that with me. I was born stubborn. I was born a rebel. I was born with sinful nature. I'm going to go ahead and say it for y'all too. Y'all were born the same way I was born. Notice. Yet learned. Look at the word learned. Methathanol. To understand, to increase one's knowledge. To be increased in knowledge. To learn by use and practice. He must experience this. Why? His future work requires it. Now he did not need this in his Logos form. He did not need this in his creationist form. But he needs it in the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because he's going to be a priest. So experientially he must experience he must experience anguish. He must experience pain. He must experience anxiety. He must experience why? 
My God, my God, why? Why is not just a word. Many of you have experienced why. Why? Oh, it's much more than a little three-letter word when you're going through things. And you're not just saying why, but you're wondering why. And you're experiencing why. God, why? What have I done? What have I done to deserve this? God, I don't understand. The Lord Jesus experienced why. God don't get mad at you and you say why. Only reason God gets upset at you and you say why is the attitude you say it in. The Lord Jesus did not please the Father God when he said why. He had to experience why. For who? How many have ever had whys in your life? I'm talking about big whys. Though he were a son, yet learned he. Obedience. Then he would become qualified. As Paul used the word sucker, S-U-C-C-O-U-R, which is to save. In Hebrews 2.18, for that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. I wonder, is there anybody here today that would like to teach God anything? God cannot be taught. He's never had a new thought. Every time I just think about that quote, it's overwhelming to me. Every day I get up, I'm in a new world. Well, come on, go ahead and admit it. You're just like me. You rethink things. How many things would you redone in your life? A great portion of it. Why? Because we look back and realize that wasn't the right thing to do. God, he never said, man, wish I'd have thought of that before. Goodness, I can't believe I didn't. He don't think that way. He don't have to. He's never had a new thought about anything. I'm going to redo this. I'm going to undo. He don't undo, redo. He don't have to do any of that. But he chose when he come in this form. He said, now I've got to come in a way that I'll be like them. I am the one true and original know-it-all without the attitude. But I cannot be the know-it-all if I'm going to go down there and be like them. So I must empty myself of knowing everything to knowing nothing. God never had to experience obedience before. There was nobody to be obedient to. Now, as I said, Jesus could not be his father, but he didn't say the father could not be his own son, which he become himself in the form of sonship. So in the form of sonship, he now subjects himself to become obedient and learning. So it wasn't automatically by the new birth. Listen to this. When Jesus received the fullness of the Holy Ghost at the river, that obedience was not just, bam, there it comes. Whole package deal. You got everything you need. Everything by experience. It's all there. If it didn't come to him with the fullness of the Godhead bodily, it ain't going to come to you with your thimble full. 
We will learn obedience. We will learn submission. We will learn to give up. Are we not doing it, friends? We learn it. And many of you struggle and struggle because you battle with these things. Let God's Word speak to you today and help you to see if He learned it, we will learn it. As God, Christ needed nothing, could learn nothing, could be taught nothing. But God, as Jesus, (laughs) could learn how to obey, learn how to submit. Why? For you. Notice Hebrews 5, 9, and being made. Tileo, finish, complete, to carry through completely. This is the same word used in Ephesians describing the fivefold ministry of what they would do for the body, perfect the body. Preachers don't perfect you and make you sinless, but the ministry actually makes you complete. Why? It's the ministry of Jesus. It's the ministry of Jesus carrying on in his body. Praise the Lord. Do you believe it? Well, sure, if you come by faith and you hear the voice of God speak, what is it? It's the Lord Jesus speaking to your heart. Oh, my, I just got a text a bit go before I come out from Brother Ron Spencer and a sister there in his church have been witnessing to a professor. Brother, Brother Tim was supposed to be in Japan this week, but canceled it, which I believe is the will of God for him to do so. And while, while this girl, lady, sister was talking to this Japanese professor, been in America for 25 years and my, you know, all science. And so he went through this deal in, in one of the classes that you can't believe anything unless it's scientifically proven. Well, this sister wouldn't sit there and let that go. So she began to witness to him about the Lord. Tell him about the Lord. Brother Tim's up at Brother Ron's preach last night. She told him, said, why don't you go to YouTube and, you know, click on that link sometime and, and, and listen to the service. Oh, I don't know, you know. So the, last night when Brother Tim was preaching and he preached about Joshua and something happened supernatural that science could not explain. While that man was in his room, clicked on that link and on YouTube, the Spirit of God come inside the room where he was. The man had never prayed, never even talked to God, and God saved him right there in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> so instead of Brother Tim going to Japan, he was able to go to Virginia and still reach Japanese. A scientist that would have to look at it. Oh, you can look up his name. He's got several different things. He's a well-known guy. But you know what? Apparently, there's a little seed of God laying down inside of that that science couldn't satisfy. Why? It is the power of the Almighty. No matter how much we think we know, and yet some little sister, not, not a preacher, not a brother, but a sister, and her phone kept going off in church and going off in church, and she thought it must be an emergency. So she got up and went outside. It was that professor saying I just got saved hallelujah brother sister that's my God that's my God hallelujah this is the glory of his kenosis that he can change human hearts so the complete one the perfect one 
emptied out himself of his completion and his perfection and said, I don't feel too good today. I'm sick, Papa. Peter, y'all pray for me. I'm, I'm so sick. Jesus, come on, we got these meetings set. Boys, I'm so down. If Jesus did not feel depression, if Jesus did not feel oppressed in his spirit, he did not bear a great deal of the sins and the sickness of humanity. He felt pressed. He felt wearied. He felt tired. Disappointed in people and let down in people. In order to complete this part, which would be essential, what's he getting? High priest training. <laughs> Actually, you can't get this training in heaven. You have to get it among dirt bags. You have to get it among sorry, rotten, low-down, good-for-nothing human beings, brother. They'll make you pray. Angels don't do nothing like humans do. Oh, I know y'all would like me to call you Happy Valley Angels. Well, the way some of you act sometimes, I do think you are. Them kind that ride motorcycles. this high priest complete in his office he must be ridiculed he must be let down he must be lied on he must look like he's a deceiver and being deceived he must feel all of these things that we will feel and feel them even deeper than we could ever feel them let me have a few more minutes And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Called of God, an high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Paul says in Philippians 2.8, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. This is a requirement now. I hate false humility. I hate it. You get around people and you have have and I have as well. And they put on this thing. Thing. You know that they're so humble. And they're just so humble and they're as proud as ever devil in hell they're eat up of their spiritual arrogance well praise the lord you're dressing up like a woman but really you're a man you're a pervert jesus didn't act humility he was humility Notice being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. Yes. 
Look at this word. Tapanuo. Bring low to lower. Depress. One's soul. Bring down one's pride to have a modest opinion of one's self. To behave in an unassuming manner. Devoid of all haughtiness. Praise the Lord. Wow, you folks is quiet this morning. Metaphorically, listen to the meaning of it. To bring into a humble condition. Reduced to meaner circumstances. To assign a lower rank or place to a base. To be ranked below others. Who are honored or rewarded. So when you hear people all the time bragging about themselves and telling what they are and telling who they are, you just know, friends, feel sorry for them. Pray for them. They need the Spirit of Christ. Now remember in Philippians 2, 6, when Paul starts out this great series of verses here, he says, let this mind, phronio, this attitude, this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So ultimately, he become this so that we might become this as well. Now, not in the bridegroom form, but in the bride form. That we, as the people of God, and it's a great thing to be able to recognize your position in Christ Jesus and those who are given authority to cast out devils, preach the word and do the works that God gives them to do, they must recognize who they are. And they can say, well, you know what? I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And that's true. We cannot. But we recognize our authority. But we also must do it with this in mind. That we think less of ourselves. That we don't put ourselves equal with brothers or, for a lot of folks, above brothers. You see, when we do that, that is Satan anointing our thinking. Because it was the nature of God when he come to this earth to humble himself lower than a fox. He humbled himself lower than a bird. Then who are we? I'll tell you one thing. I'm this and that and the other. I'll, you know, some of you go home and you dissect every preacher. I wish I was a preacher. I'll tell you one thing. I think them preachers ought to. Who do you think you are? A lot of times preachers preach things. I don't even understand why they're preaching. You think Brother Tim understood why he was saying what he did last night about Joshua? Of course he did not. The Spirit of God inspired him. And somebody might have said, why in the world did he say that? Because God knew it needed to be said. For a Japanese man with the name of Dr. Yu could be able to come to the light of the hour. Hallelujah. So what do we do? We exalt our knowledge by our mind, by our understanding. And he come and he said, no, no. I'm going to humble myself. Having been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Listen. Not acting like a man. Oh, I'm so humble. I'm so poor. Oh, I ain't got nothing. People think humility is stinking like a polecat. They think humility ain't taking a bath. No, that's just lack of respect for all the rest of us. That's the smell of it. 
Look, friends, I've seen poor people that was as poor as they can be, and they had, had, they had more pride than rich people because they were so caught up in their poverty and their pride, you could never help them. And God couldn't help them. But yet they classed themselves as being poor, so humble. Where do you get that idea? Where do you get that idea? Oh, you can't have things and be rich. Or what in the world are we going to in heaven? Is heaven going to be a slum area? Look, you're going to walk on streets of gold one day and walls of jasper. I mean, heaven ain't going to be all of us living around in cardboard chains going down through heaven. Where do you get that at? Humility is not just a lack of nothing. Some of the greatest humility I've ever seen is those who have things but know how to put it in the proper perspective. Brother George Bertram, my brother down in Kentucky, used to come to the church when I was there. And he was alive many years ago when Brother Branham was here. And Brother Branham actually came to his, he had a cheese plant there in Albany, Kentucky. And he made cheese. And he came to Brother, brother Bertram's place there and saw him went over to their house. And he said, when Brother Branham come in, he had liked antiques and his wife did. Brother Branham wouldn't even sit on the couch. He wouldn't even sit on the chair. He wouldn't even sit on the furniture. But he sat down in the floor, Indian style, with his legs crossed over and squatted. And he said, Brother Donnie, he was the type of man, and Brother George would take his hands this way, he was the type of man that would just say, oh, brother, oh, brother, you're just such a wonderful brother. He said, by the time he got done with you, he made you feel like you was this great person. And we're followers of that man, are we? Or when we get done with people, do they think we're about the fourth power in heaven? They're wondering what you're even doing down here in this mortal body because you must have hung the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the universe. You're going to be right there next to Jesus in the millennium. Come on, you dirtbag. You're like all the rest of us. You're lost without the mercy of God. Look, friends, we've got the quotes of the message. But do we have the same spirit the messenger had? Do we have the same spirit the Lord Jesus had? Or do we spend so much of our time, what I am, what I think, blowing ourselves up? Brother Donnie, humble me. I can't. You got to do it yourself. Heard y'all had a good service last night. Boy, I'm glad. Man. You see, you didn't act humility. But every deed was an act of abasement. His attitude about himself. I do nothing of my own. Only what I see the Father do. Let me close with this. See if by memory I can recall it. Question answer is 1959, I believe. The prophet said, God has a hard time finding a man that he can use. Because he said, most men, when he starts using them, the more he uses them, the bigger they get. The more he uses them, the bigger they get. And then they want to become a god or an angel before the people. But he said, you can only be as God will be big in you. And he said, you must always remain little in your own eyes. Let other people talk about what, what God's doing. Let other people brag on it. Don't, don't you go around, I'm this, I'm that. Glory to God, I'm this. You know where you're getting that? The devil. You're talking like Satan. Let's stand, children.
Brother Eric, let's read this Matthew 18, 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye become converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself. Same word that we read a while ago. Bring low, sign to a lower rank, rank below others, honor to reward it, lower depressed, bring one soul, to behave in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself. Notice, not God doing it. Not your wife, not other people. Humble himself as this little child. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. Testing. One, two, three, testing. Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. You just ask yourself this simple question when I read you the meaning of this word, resisteth. Oppose oneself to range in battle against. So whenever we begin to express human pride that tips over the scale into satanic pride, God declares a war against us. That's why message preachers in their kingdoms fall. They get an eliteness. Oh, we're special. We're above everybody else. Our pastor's greater. Our revelation is greater. Nobody can touch us. We got the best singers in the message. Watch it. We're heading down, not up. You see, when we start setting in that direction, God declares a war against us. I got enough battles. I sure don't want him fighting against me. Do you? Look, this is your scriptures, right? This is your Bible. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, we'll pick this up again, Lord willing. God resisteth the proud. Look at the meaning of this word. Showing oneself above others. Overtopping. Conspicuous above others. Preeminent. I do this and I do that and I've done this and I've did this and I'm so spiritual and I've got all this and I've done all that and I've done that. And then other people talk about how God uses them and you don't say nothing. I like to watch it on a preacher's forum that I'm on and watch, you know, this certain brother prayed for somebody. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, glory to God. And then this other brother turns in a certain testimony that God done something through him. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. I have a problem with that. I believe God has a problem with that. We should be able to rejoice when God does something, whether it's in our church or not. Whether God uses your pastor to pray for a certain person or not. Rejoice, saints, when folks are healed. Rejoice when people are helped. Mama, conspicuous above others, preeminent with an overwhelming estimate of one's means 
or merits. And I don't mind telling you, I've met some overwhelming people. They are so overwhelming. Ah. I see you all have too. They're not overwhelming about Jesus. They're not overwhelming about a lot of other things. They are so overwhelming about themselves. Well, thank you, Jesus. I love the Word, don't you? Praise the Lord. You'll get a little bit of a break from me now. Lord willing, Caroline's flying out Tuesday to go to Tucson. We've got some meetings out there. Brother, Brother Andrew, Brother Jack Duff, Brother Daryl Ward, and, and myself. So, uh, Brother Daryl will be speaking here Wednesday night. Brother Homer Longoria will be here next weekend. So, you get to hear some good preachers. And I'm sure they'll bring in salve by the 55-gallon drums. <laughs> they'll have you all layered up so much you won't be able to even sit in the pew. And you'll just be doing so good, and then I'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs> so bring your band-aids. Amen. Praise the Lord. Look, friend, if this kind of pride started in heaven, and God kicked the man out who had it, do we honestly think we can go back in with the same thing he had? No. So what do we do? Humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's bow our heads together. Brother Joel, maybe y'all can come up and sing that song y'all were singing earlier. Second one. The humility and glory of kenosis. We may all think today of, I'll have to give up this and I'll have to quit that and give up this and quit. You may. There'll be things God will ask us to lay aside. And more than likely, we'll never see the glory until we get there at that day. But I'll tell you, friends, it will be well worth everything you have to give up. Our Lord Jesus kept us before him. He despised the cross, dealt with the shame hanging there naked on a cross. You imagine what a, what a thing it must have been. Hated, rejected. But he knew, he knew the glory would be worth it. You're part of that here today. Part of the glory. How many like to be remembered? Brother Don, just pray for me. I want to stay there where the Lord can help me, use me, be humble. Hallelujah. Amen. Also have a request that's been handed in here. Please pray for Sister Jill Fleeman. She's having surgery on Tuesday. That is unless the blood work shows her kidneys are working. So she won't have to have it done. As we pray for your needs, let's remember our Sister Jill this morning as well. Heavenly Father, these things overwhelm us as humans. We see why that there will be so few, really, according to the population of the earth that will ever be able to understand it. In order to succeed for the most part in our day, 
you have to think about you and talk about you. And we have all kinds of self-help books that talk up all our potential and all that we are and this and that and the other. And the gospel preaches exactly the opposite. The gospel tells us to humble ourselves and lay ourselves aside and empty ourselves out. So we can see Satan's gospel preaches one thing and your gospel preaches another. Lord, we want to give our ear to you. We know we must have confidence in what we are. As Philemon tells us, acknowledging every good thing that is in us. But that's what you've done, not what we are. Help us, I pray, Father, to strike that balance of reality, of confession, of who we are and what you've done for us. But to be able to see it ain't us. And we can only brag and talk about the grace of God in our lives, not us. Lord Jesus, we pray today for our sister, Jill Fleeman, that you would just be with her, Lord. You see, facing possibly this surgery, we ask God that you would move for. We've seen you move so many times, Lord. I pray that you would just help her, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Minister to our hearts here today, Lord, we ask. We worship you, Father. Praise the Lord. We are the ones called by your name. We humble ourselves down as we pray, renouncing every sin.
can be dismissed this morning. We'll, we'll just sing that first song that we sing, my all in all. Just sing this as you go this morning. Be careful going home. Remember the service is Wednesday. It's you are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Or to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. 